Coming up on Transformers University, we finally wrap up 1987. We'll take a look back at the legacy of the year, from important characters to enduring concepts to some wackiness that has remained untouched. We'll preview what's to come as we turn the calendar to 1988 right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner-operator, madman behind TFU.info, the website, the tour archive, TFU News and Views podcast, this podcast, and oh, so much more. And I want to welcome you to episode number 129 of Transformers University. It's been a while, it's been a while. since we started 1987 on this podcast. How long? Well, we started 1987 in September of 2020 with episode 91. While we haven't stuck with a regular posting schedule, thanks to real-life things, like my relocation to Florida from New York, it's been just a few months short of three years to complete 1987 in our coverage. And that coverage has spanned 37 episodes. I'm 37? Plus this one, making it 38. And if it has proved anything to me, it's that 1987 is one of the largest and most important years of the brand. If we look back at... 1986's Transformers the Movie, which we covered back in episodes 50 and 51, plus a number of special looks throughout the uh, 1986 portion of this podcast. If we look at that film as the pinnacle of G1, I wouldn't say it was the top of the apex. That's because the brand had a ton of momentum off the backs of those first three years. The 1987 stories, toys, and characters may not be as well-remembered, but the volume of product, uh, the expansion of Transformers as a worldwide brand, made 1987 one of the most fruitful uh, years to look back upon. Which means there's a huge legacy born from 1987, which is what we're talking about here today. The biggest of all the topics we covered, easily the most impactful and important, stems from the final days of the G1 cartoon, the return of Optimus Prime. That two-parter was an event. For me, it reignited my interest in the Transformers. It made me interested in what I had missed from season three and what new toys were out there. It introduced me to the movie characters who I hadn't known all that well after moving on to other things as a kid. The return of Optimus Prime also set the standard that Optimus could be reborn, making him basically akin to a robo-Christ figure. It pushes Transformers from a loosely interconnected series of cartoon episodes to a series of stories that qualify as their own mythology. Honestly, without the return of Optimus Prime, this brand does not endure in the same manner, and we may not be talking about it right now, 40 years, almost 40 years on. And this time, no force in the universe can stop me. Now, with season three wrapping in 1987, we headed into season four, the rebirth, uh, the five-parter that was cut down to three parts because uh, the show got canceled and uh, ended up wrapping the G1 cartoon in the United States for good. And given the sporadic airing of the series in 1987, this show had somewhat of a mythical aura about it. Remember, in a pre-internet, pre-YouTube world, the only way you had this episode was to have recorded it on VHS as it aired. Recording shows off of TV was really the only way around appointment viewing back in the 80s. And uh, you still had to have the appointment to begin with. Rebirth also gave the 
the U.S. continuity, a huge split from Japan. It allowed the Japanese to splinter off into their own series. And yes, that is coupled with Japan not getting Transformers the movie until long after 1986. But No Rebirth in Japan leads to three series uh, in Japan, Headmasters, Master Force, and Victory, ones that splinter way off from the original cartoon series. And that's just the impact on the cartoon. We're going to talk about Japan, uh, the U.K., and the toys of 1987 right after this. Hey, want to help out this podcast or the website tfu.info? There's a number of ways you can do it. Let me tell you how. You can help us directly by joining our Patreon and enrolling as a student at Transformers University. There, you'll get early access to the podcast as well as exclusive behind-the-scenes peaks and perks for as little as $1 a month. Sign up is quick and easy. Just swing on by to www.patreon.com slash tfuinfo. Another way you can help us is by using our Amazon link, www.tfu.info slash Amazon. Type that into your browser whenever you want to shop at Amazon and a portion of what you spend will be contributed back to us. It's that easy. Finally, you don't become the world's longest running transforming toy archive without some help from other fans. We're always on the hunt for photos of figures and accessories we're missing from our pages. If you'd like to contribute, go to tfu.info slash help for a list of what we need or send an email to info at tfu.info. tfu.info, the alpha trion and omega prime of transforming toys. Now, back to the show. Let's talk a bit about the toys of 1987 and their legacy. This is the year we saw the introduction of the Masters gimmick, Headmasters and Target Masters to start. The gimmick alone is a culmination of two major gimmicks from the first two years of the brand. Figures combining, in this case a smaller figure combining with a larger figure, and companion figures such as Soundwave and Blaster and their cassettes. With the Master gimmick, the play pattern incorporates both. You can combine your headmaster body with his head partner, or you can deploy the smaller robot for play at a different scale. This is a huge leap uh, for Transformers. It's a play pattern that continued on in G1 and extended into many later lines. Almost every line in the brand from 2002's Armada line through all the way through uh, now, basically, <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this in 2023, uh, features a play pattern that originates from headmasters or target masters. It's an enormous enormously huge contribution to what would come in Transformers. Now, speaking of huge, the scale of Transformers toys soared upwards in 1987. The biggest, both literally and figuratively, was Fortress Maximus. And for decades, this was the largest Transformers toy and inspired the large-scale Titan figures that we've received in the modern generations line. Moreover, we saw the scale of the main figures of the line increase somewhat. If you've ever handled an original Autobot Headmaster figure, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. They are substantially larger than your average Autobot car. We also saw a number of other gimmicks debut in 1987. We had Six Shot, the first six-mode figure. Seven, if you've been listening to our recent coverage of the Japanese manga in episode number 125. Uh, we saw the first spy figure with Punch Counterpunch, which may also be the first Transformers figure with two distinct robot modes in addition to a vehicle mode. We saw the birth of the dual convict gimmick, two vehicles becoming one robot, something we hadn't seen or explored much over the years. And uh, the same goes for clones, robots with identical twin robot modes and different vehicle modes. And finally, much like in Transformers the movie, we saw an old friend get reborn into a new body in Goldbug, the upgraded form of Bumblebee. Back, I'm better than ever! 
ever! Look at this new paint job! I've gone beyond being just plain old Bumblebee. I'm a gold bug! <laughs> that you are, Bumblebee. So from now on, that's exactly who you'll be. Goldbug. I think it's interesting to note here how Goldbug had different origins in the Marvel US comic, the Marvel UK comic, and the cartoon, but his tech spec notes that he was Bumblebee, uh, keeping that as a consistent line, consistent story element uh, throughout his creation. Speaking of the comic, Goldbug's story arc in the Marvel US books becomes a center point as he teams up with Blaster against Grimlock's leadership. This is one of the most interesting components of Bob Budiansky's run in the book as the Autobots flounder in the absence of true leadership with the death of Optimus Prime. We also saw real-world leadership change at Marvel as Jim Shooter would leave his position as editor-in-chief. This would create a big shift for licensed books at the House of Ideas, one Transformers would somehow navigate for a few more years. And if you're new to the show, swing all the way back to episode number two, where I sat down at New York Comic Con with Jim Shooter to talk about the birth of the Transformers at Marvel and a number of other topics. Hint, I'm a big Valiant Comics fan, and uh, we certainly got into that a little bit as well. Wrapping up important things from Marvel US in 1987, when we saw the introduction of Headmasters to the comic in a limited series, one that introduced the Nebulans and a new character named Galen, who would ultimately give way to Spike Witwicky as the binary bonded partner for Fortress Maximus. This would be Spike's introduction in the comic, despite debuting in the TV series three years prior. It would also culminate in his first toy incarnation as the head of Cerebros in the Fortress Maximus toy. In Marvel UK, we saw a number of key storylines, including the Fallen Angel arc, the crossover with Action Force, a.k.a. G.I. Joe in the UK, and the return of Death's Head. For the holidays, we met Christmas Kid as he showed Ebenezer Seeker, a.k.a. Starscream, the meaning of Christmas, and you can swing back just a few episodes to episode 127 for that one. We also received one other short-lived comics line in the U.S., 3D comics from an ill-fated company called Blackthorn. Now, each issue of that series featured a unique take on the Transformers, my particular favorite being the third and final issue, wherein the Destructins are introduced. Uh, you can hear all about that in episode number 123. In Japan, Japan. we saw the cartoon continuity take a hard split, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with the Headmasters cartoon. In a little more than the first half of the series, we met numerous alien races, saw multiple planets explode, including Mars and Cybertron, had Optimus Prime die again, and saw Daniel get held at knife point by political prisoners. If that wasn't enough, we got to see the inclusion of the Beast Formers in the show and the toy line. Uh, those toys would be sold in the West as Battle Beasts. And the Japanese toy line would also feature its first exclusives in 1987 in Artfire and Stepper, retools of Inferno and Jazz, respectively. Uh that were made to accommodate the Target Master gimmick. Finally, the manga continued in Japan with all sorts of weird contexts of the series, such as Sixshot, who turns out he's not a Decepticon, but a mercenary, and is busy taking care of a pet planet. Finally, I'd like to use these episodes to look for missed opportunities in the toy lives, and characters we haven't seen in toy form as of yet. Uh, the year 87 marked a sharp decline in that realm, due to the G1 cartoon only having five episodes in the year before wrapping. That said, we still have yet to see figures themed around the return of Optimus Prime. Uh, while we've seen numerous stabs at recolors based on Season 2 and the episode Golden Lagoon, wherein the toys are painted all in gold, uh, we have not seen anything homaging the hate plague of the return of Optimus Prime, so no one done all in red, nor the uh, silver alloy-coated Optimus Prime who ultimately saves the day. You know, uh, as a kid, I always used Ultra Magnus' interior robot uh, to stand in for this, and uh, the only reason I even got that figure uh, was because I became interested in again in Transformers, and as a result of that, uh, ended up with an Ultra Magnus toy. Uh, so 
something first off car carriers are inherently fun uh and and i I would like to see anyone tell me they're not um but uh that all resulted from the return of optimus prime reigniting my interest in the brand now from the comics there's never been a galen figure or um zarek's daughter lyra for that matter um on the flip side the Scraplets were introduced in the Marvel U.S. comics, and they did receive a toy in the early days of the Cyberverse toy line in 2019, and were a part of both the Cyberverse cartoon and earlier as part of Transformers Prime. Thanks for listening to the show. Stick around to hear what's coming up next episode, but first, I want to fill you in on a few ways you can stay in touch with the show. Want to be on the show? Leave us a voicemail at 702-763-4838. That's 702-POD-4TFU. Or send an email to info at tfu.info. Be sure to catch us on Twitter at TFU underscore info and on Facebook and Instagram under the username TFU info, all one word. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash TFU info, where we post all of our podcasts, plus special video segments, reviews, and live coverage of Transformers-related events such as New York Toy Fair and New York Comic Con. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit us at www.tfu.info, the world's longest-running transforming toy archive. Next time on the show, we are finally, finally shifting to 1988. How many episodes will it cover? Uh, I don't quite know yet, but we'll find out. We'll set the scene and talk about the world in the year 1988, from world events to sports to pop culture, and we'll look at what was going on around the Transformers brand and the surprising places the brand popped up in its fourth year. Of course, if you want to catch up with me, you can find me on Twitter at TFU underscore info and just about everywhere else as TFU info, all one word, and on the web at www.tfu.info. This also includes Threads, Blue Sky, Mastodon, uh, at Retro Pizza, and uh, just about every other social network. Uh, until next time, I am your host, Anthony Brucali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. See you.